I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Here is a lovely conversation with Heather Lawrence, mystic priesthood-pursuing podcast host of the Chipmunks podcast, where she explores theology through a uniquely female lens. I've titled this episode The Divine Feminine because I first began learning about the Divine Feminine from Heather and her podcast. We talk about some deep stuff in this episode, but we also have lots of fun. We address spiritual abuse, art, feminism, sex, and the divine feminine. We cover a lot. And because Heather and I both pursued careers in church ministry, we both want the church to do better, which is what Uncertain is all about. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden. Tears of Eden is a nonprofit providing a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. For the past couple months, we've been piloting our first online group of survivors. We meet once a month on Zoom to discuss trauma and the unique aspects of spiritual abuse. And then we've been continuing the conversation in a private Facebook group. We're piloting this group in hopes that we'll be able to make this accessible to anyone who needs it and wants it. In other news, we're also going to have our first virtual gala in September. We're in the process of putting this together now, and I'll give you more details as the date draws closer. This will be a focused time for sharing the work of Tears of Eden and what this organization is about and what we hope for in terms of caring for survivors of spiritual abuse. And now, here's my conversation with Heather Lawrence. How's your day been? <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. I feel hungover today, but I didn't drink that much last night. But I think <laughs> what it is, I went with um, my friend Laurel to Apple Pan, and I had apple pie with ice cream. And then after that, I had wine. And I think it's like the sugar. sugar hangover, man. Yeah. I think that it's, shit's real. Shit. It's real. It is. It is. So I was like, it's not quite hungover, but it feels a little bit. So. Right. Right. And I, I don't eat a lot of sugar. So well, that's the that's what I was about to say. Is like, I think this is an opportunity to have contrast. Be our teacher, you know, because it's like, okay, well, I feel like shit when I eat apple pie and ice cream. The next day, it's like not really worth it for me. But that's contrast to your your like normal your mo. Yes, this is not exactly. all that, and your exactly. body is so used to. Like, so I need to eat more sugar. Like, <laughs> yeah, you just slowly kill yourself, and everything will be fine. <laughs> everything will be fine. Be with Jesus faster. Yeah, how it works. Exactly, exactly. You should live large. God. Enjoy life because you're just gonna die anyway. Exactly right. I think that's in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You didn't drink. I love Ecclesiastes. If I had a favorite book of the Bible, it would be Ecclesiastes. You said if I had one, you won't if claim I- it. <laughs> you won't just claim it right now. Claim it right now, Catherine. Yeah. It's your favorite yeah. book. <laughs> <laughs> because it might change next month. So. I mean, that's fair. Superlatives do feel very permanent, even though yeah, I'm like. Uh, I hate like icebreaker questions like, what's your favorite food? I was like, I could name what I like today. Yeah. Tomorrow. I, it I'm may totally be different. You. And now I'm, totally I'm bound to that. 
but it's not true. <laughs> I know. And I, I feel like that's like a, I don't know, the changingness of, <laughs> listen, I just have to be real with you. I'm in like a very weird feisty slash ethereal place today. Oh, goodness. It's Any- like mercury fucking retrograde and and everyone's communication has gone to shit in one day. It just crumbled around. I woke up this morning to like a handful of texts of people who can't get their shit together. Your face, your face. Are you experiencing this too? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Is it the, it's the planets. It's Mercury. So Mercury is the planet of communication. And when it retrogrades, when it starts to move backwards through the sky, communication feels very inaccessible to most of us, or it's very easy to miscommunicate. So it's very bold of us to record a podcast on this the first day That's what we're of calling Mercury retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> Mercury is in retrograde, therefore we recorded a podcast. Yeah, why not just like catch this chaos in in a time capsule? Oh, why don't we just do that? Buckle down into it. And it's mm-hmm. like, I just started my period. And so I'm thinking about like yeah. my moon cycle and all of this. And, yeah. like, and these are the things that we don't ever like really take into consideration when things are weird or bizarre or off. Like we think, you know, yeah. going into church stuff, uh, but we think there's something wrong with us. Right. We need to get our life together. But there right. are a lot of outside forces that can be impacting Totally. And it's like the fact that those aren't even like accounted for in common conversation is patriarchy because it's this, it's presuming that like the standard narrative, right, is masculine kind of like steadiness. And like, I, I'm not saying that to shit on the divine masculine. I, I love men. I love masculinity and it's not the whole story. And it's like, all we see is this linear structure, just presume that things are going to be the same day to day. And Mm -hmm. the, the moon cycle, the chaos out there is the beautiful contribution of the divine feminine. But when we exclude that from the conversation, exactly what you're saying is like, Mm -hmm. well, what the hell's wrong with me? Why can't I fit in? Why can't I just like look ahead at my calendar and assume that the first open slot is going to be a great time to record a podcast. Well, (laughs) maybe factor in your menstrual cycle, Heather, and maybe factor in what you know is going to be happening in the stars. Doesn't have to mean that it's not a good time. It's just like, this is going to be a little bit of an edgier conversation than it might have been otherwise. But I think it's going to be awesome. I think so. It already already, is. I'm already feeling it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You said you had a crazy morning this morning. Well, this is an interesting season for me because I'm in, I'm discerning a call to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church, and I have part of that process is a parish discernment committee where they put together okay. a group of people. It's typically like three or four people from your parish, and then one or two, I think it's the minimum of five, so two people from the diocese who are trained in the area of discernment, who are trained to prayerfully listen, ask questions to discern the work of God in your life and discern with you a call to ministry, which I think is an awesome aspect of, like, it's one of my favorite pieces of the process of ordination in the Episcopal church, that it's a mutual discernment. It's not just me deciding if this is what I want to do. Yeah. It's a community. So it kind of sounds like it's a really beautiful setup, but it really depends on the people within it. Like that's a huge part of it. 
Which is how community is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like system itself is not the solution. Right. If the people in that system are not the right people for that system, it doesn't actually work. Yeah. You could have the greatest system in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you could have a terrible system and great people and maybe things will be okay. Right. Yes. It's fascinating. I feel like with that, the system thing, um, I don't know why I went down this rabbit trail. I mean, I know why I went down this rabbit trail, but so I have um, a series of episodes coming out about a pretty horrendous abuse case. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty bad. And the abuse itself is bad. What's really bad is how the presbytery is covering it, re-traumatizing the victims, Mm -hmm. bias, siding with the perpetrator, and it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. And so there's, you're familiar with the PCA, right? So there's like the the session, the presbytery, then there's the general assembly. And so after the first two episodes, we have a third episode coming out this week. I sent two of the episodes to the committee officers of the general assembly, like top people, seven people sent two episodes and was like, before the next episode out, comes out, would you like to comment? <laughs> Did they respond? Within 12 hours, I got two emails back, pretty lengthy ones, which I was very surprised by. I totally thought I was going to get white noise. Um, But I think the whole idea, like one of them even said, uh, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to comment before your third episode comes out. You're like, "Mm." Like, oh, oh, oh. What did they say? I mean, maybe you can't. Well, share. the thing is, is it's like, and I, I mean, I knew this was true. It just totally confirms it. Um, like they're really proud of their systems yeah. and, and they just, you know, they're dedicated to them. They think they work. They think they're great. And this idea that there is corruption within that system is just not even on their radar at all. Yeah. And yeah. so their responses to me, this might be the whole, the whole um, Mercury thing, mm-hmm. like, we've gone back and forth a few times where they're like sending me stuff like this is what we're doing about domestic violence and how we're caring for them and we have this committee to 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 study like how we're handling you know when abuse victims come into church and like that's all wonderful beautiful 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 sure. but that is not my concern with what i'm sending to you yeah. my concern is that the system itself has corrupt people in it and you in the ga at the very very top are not hearing about it because the presbytery is stopping it Oh, shit. They're they're declaring these abusers innocent. Like, I know of one case, and I know four different cases and four different presbyteries being handled the exact same way. And in one of the cases, the commission that was formed to investigate didn't even interview any witnesses. They just declared the pastor innocent. They had they had witnesses and what? they brought them and they didn't even interview them. And they just was like, there's not a pro- strong presumption of guilt. You can't establish that if you haven't interviewed the witnesses. Yeah. And so it's what? very fucked up. How? Very fucked up. Okay. How big is a presbytery? How much, how much is it a regional it thing? Depends. How many people it's a regional. are involved? It's regional and it depends. So the, uh, the Pacific presbytery um, involves... I don't even know what the geographic region is, but it's a lot of states because there's not that many PCA churches on this end of the country, Mm -hmm. but there's a Tennessee Valley Presbytery that's just like Tennessee, the upper part of Alabama, and then part of Georgia because there's there's tons of PCA churches in that area. So it just kind of depends on how many. I don't know 
how many churches have to be a part of it to be a part of the presbytery. Okay. And I don't know how many presbyteries there are. What about the leadership? Like how many people are we talking about making this decision to, to not uh, investigate? A commission, I think, has to have six people okay. on it, all from different places. And different churches. Like, yeah, different churches. Um, they're not supposed to have affiliation with the pastor, but there's absolutely no way because they all know each other. So they are all, they all men? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the only voting members are men, too. That's another problem. Throw a table yeah. across the room. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that is so infuriating. Yeah. It's infuriating. And if you listen to this episode, I got so many people like voice texting me like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. It's like it's so messed up. I suspected General Assembly. They have no idea that this is happening. They just assume, oh, everything's great. Oh, it's, you know, abuse happens sometimes, you know, you know, even in the church abuse can happen. And it's, that was one of the, they're saying one of the these people things? said that. One of, like, one of the people said that he sent me this like overture of like what they're doing to address domestic abuse that happens like when when a domestic abuse situation happens and how are we handling it and they were like abuse happens sometimes and even in the church like at, even you're like no shit Sherlock <laughs> that's why we're here I don't how do you respond with any kind of collection to that kind of shit like, I, my heart is my heart rate just doubled you telling me about it and See, all thank I want to do is so validating so validating but it's enraging. Uh, yeah. Enraging. I mean, but they have no idea. They have no idea. And how, 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 do you, how do you say they have no idea? Like, what, what do you mean by that? They just assume that it's isolated, like most people do, that abuse in churches is isolated. And that men, male pastors and elders in general are well-meaning and good people. That is but what they think. literally just said... Abuse happens sometimes, in even church. in churches. So yeah. we know it's not isolated. They think it's isolated. No, if, it if, happens, you, can, if you can say that kind of thing, happens. you don't think that it's isolated. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, like if it happens, logic. though, it's like one church over here or one church over here. Like it's not this... Which is this. not isolated. <laughs> that is a problem. Agreed. Oh, my God. And if That's it happens like, at all, it's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. Exactly. Like, check the water, man. If everyone's getting sick, check mm -hmm. the fucking water. Like, what mm -hmm. are you, what is producing even, even two instances? You gotta check it out. Yep. 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 Especially if it comes from a pastor and the pastor is the abuser. And the case, like my case here in Los Angeles, like we had 30 victims 30 victims come forward. Those are just the people that came forward, you know? Yeah. There are, there are hundreds from this one pastor. And this is the only case I know of where he got deposed. One person. One person. Only case I know of that he got deposed. We got lucky. And I know we got lucky because I'm hearing about all of these other cases where the presbyteries just bury it. Like, they're just like, oh, not not a pr strong presumption of guilt. And that's just like their, their, their rote answer is there's not a strong presumption of guilt. Oh, oh. And like the case that I'm featuring on the podcast right now, there were 10 victims. They had 10 victims. And that's not a strong presumption of guilt. And it's like, there's something rotten happening. And the people at the top have no idea. I mean, so. <laughs> at this point, it's like, first of all, obviously you can't use logic to appeal to people. <laughs> 
Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's funny because they probably think they're being very logical. Oh, I know. By deferring to their systems and the Mm -hmm. policies, they probably think that they're very logical about this, but Mm -hmm. it is obviously deeply emotional that Mm -hmm. they would defend someone who is very clearly having multiple accusations made against them. Also, isn't this illegal? Like everything about it? How is this not, how is it not bigger? When it's a sexual abuse case, it is, it is, but it's harassment. And so like, um, you know, proving harassment is really hard to do. And in my, in our case, it's spiritual abuse in the church that I was in. You can't prove that. That's not illegal. Like it has to be dealt with at the, at the church level. Um, and so, but yeah, with the harassment case, and that was the reason that the victims get, gave of like not going to the police because it was just like, we're just going to experience that same thing. And the justice, you know, the justice system was their same, their same thing for doing it. Um, and then again, the whole, it's, it's just so messed up because it's like, and the victims who are the ones who have been abused and traumatized are the ones that are having to figure out how to work the system and how to come up with their own defense and study the book of church order so that they're saying the right things. And like, they're the ones having to do this going up against people who have been trained in it. It's so rigged. It's so, so rigged. Um, But yeah. And then these people on top have no idea that this is happening. And I said, in the last email that I sent, I was like, you know, systems are only as good as the people who are in them. Like if the if the people in them are corrupt, the system is corrupt and there is something rotten in this system. I was trying really hard because I worked with pastors for seven years and you go into like, I don't know if you experienced this in the in the um, Episcopalian tradition, but um, like you go into like pastor speak and like I have to use a specific language mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. don't come straight in the eye and make sure that you are respectful, never challenge their authority. Like all, all of these little things that you have to do so that you can make sure that they hear you and they're not distracted by you being too emotional or too disrespectful or all this kind of stuff. And I was really fighting hard as I'm writing this email not to default into pastor speak and write the email that if I were one of these victims reading it, that that would be comforting to them, that that's how I spoke to people, Mm. um, which led me to be much harsher Mm -hmm. Good, (laughs) and and tell them like, okay, these people that you pulled in are from the uh, biblical counseling are being trained as biblical counselors. Biblical counselor is known for perpetuating abuse and is not adequate to deal with trauma. So let me caution you against using this training. And so (laughs) I was like, yeah. A year ago, I never would have spoken that way to a pastor. But I'm like, and I'm like, this is fucked. Well, yeah, because like, I mean, what are you pandering to? Is the like exactly what are they going to do to me? Really? Why, why play your game? Why? Why let you think that the system that has ordained you to have any kind of authority is credible at this point? Exactly. Why would I pretend like mm-hmm. I believe that? Hmm. Hmm. And then I am uh, any anything that I've written so far, if they rule that he's innocent and all this kind of stuff, I'm just going to say I'm going to choose to believe the victims. You know, that ruling may yeah. may be what the ruling is. I'm going to believe the victims. They decided not to believe the victims. I'm going to. I'm not retracting anything that I've written. <laughs> yeah. Anything that I put out, I'm just like, 
no, we're going to believe the victims here. And they have clearly done so much work because they don't want this to happen to other people. And it's just, yeah, it's really messed up. So, And all you're asking for is this to be heard, like the case to be heard. Mm -hmm. Just, I want you to know that this is happening. Minimum. Yeah. I want you to know this is happening. But after they were spotted, I was like spending so much time like thinking about it and writing, writing, crafting what I was going to say and sending it back. And I was just like, I don't want to spend this time on you. I want to spend yeah. this on the victims. I want to care for the victims. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give this to you. <laughs> There's plenty of information out there. You can go find it yourself. I'm not. Right. Right. I'm not holding your hand through this. I think Jesus might say it would it would become casting pearls before swine at some point. Absolutely. Like what, what is the point? Why, mm-hmm. why bother? And if you're that far behind and knowing that this is happening, I'm not catching you up. Someone yeah. else can. You know, it almost feels like a more effective effort would be to like specifically focus on making women in the PCA aware of mm-hmm. like the hundreds of stories that you have. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, hey, you may have been close to an experience like this. You may have already experienced something like this. Just know that it's going to keep happening as long as you stay here. If you want somewhere else to go, we can Mm -hmm. talk. There are a lot of other places to be cared for. But, of course, like, how, how can you, if you belong to your husband, basically, how can you leave a congregation right it's right i feel sick yes yes um i agree i agree yeah it is a definitely a very patriarchal system and it the whole studying abuse has led me to i'm not claiming oh i'm complementarian oh i'm egalitarian i'm not claiming that but any system that is designed for men to be on top i am done with it like i'm just like that is so dangerous that's so dangerous and I can't, in good conscience, be a part of that system. Like, it just yeah. is not okay. I mean, even theological labels like complementarian and egalitarian are are to make men feel more comfortable about what we're talking about, which is mm-hmm. equality. Hmm. Interesting. I think so. I mean. What, it, what makes, yeah, what makes you say that? Because it's basically validating the stance of uh, diminishing the humanity of another person Mm. and to even have a label for that, to Mm. even say complementarian is a valid perspective that you can have Mm. as a Christian. I used to be a little bit more compassionate about it. Mm -hmm. I used to really, Mm -hmm. yeah, like feel, Mm -hmm. you know, you can interpret the Bible however you want. Mm -hmm. You're entitled to be fundamentalist but it I I don't I don't see that to be an asshole (laughs) right like I don't see that ever panning out where it doesn't become abusive Mm. Mm -hmm. agreed stop I agree no so I'm like no I I think that we should just take it off the table as a theological debate Mm -hmm. no and I agree and I I mean I'm at that place now um but knowing where I came from and I had because I worked for, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in the PCA and I worked for, um, that was the first place that I got a job and where I went on the mission field and first place that I heard the gospel and all that kind of stuff. So it was early twenties when I became a part of the PCA and mm-hmm. I came from a very cultish patriarchal world. I wouldn't have felt comfortable going straight into it. Like, and 
ego yeah. to the church. I sure. wouldn't. It would have it's been like way too much. Yeah, yeah, I would have been over. And I interviewed like at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, and they're very egalitarian. And they even said some things like in the interview that made me uncomfortable because it was just like the world that I was coming from. I wasn't yeah. ready. It made me, it made me feel like this is wrong. Like the school isn't handling it well, you know, like, cause I was indoctrinated. Right. And I believed that the men who taught that were well-meaning. I really did. I totally believe that at the time. Me too. Um, I think now there are some well-meaning men for short within it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the misogynists, are the are the stronger voice mm-hmm. and they're manipulating the bible and they're manipulating these good actually genuinely good men mm-hmm. and these actually genuinely good men it's not impacting them yeah like it's yeah. not impacting right. their career it's right. not impacting what they get to do it's not impacting their calling so they have no yeah incentive to be like let's study this a little further (laughs) and let's recognize that the hermeneutic that we're using here probably isn't accurate. You know, when you say no incentive though, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like biblical literalists have to, at some point face the, face the discrepancies between what Jesus teaches and the writings in Paul's letters at face value, interpreting Mm -hmm. them literally. Like you, you have to come to that point, if you really consider yourself a literalist, and if you're as intense about your faith as you make yourself out to be, it's going to come to a head where you have to recognize, like, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? What does it mean that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? What does it mean that the way to eternal life is by laying down your life for the sake Mm -hmm. of others? What does that, you know, and so like, (laughs) if you really believe those things that Jesus teaches, I don't think that we can say you don't have incentive to explore how your theology impacts other people. Mm -hmm. I think you are actually even more responsible. Absolutely. And that is just like the whole definition of privilege. Like, yeah, they don't. Yes, they are responsible, but when it doesn't hurt them. And that was just the question that I would pose to people who would get into these funks and like, you know, but the Bible says, and I hate it that it says it, but the Bible says, you know, like, and, and I would just be like, okay, 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 okay. Let's table that, you know, debate over what this actually means. And let's just ask this question. Are women getting hurt? Yes. Are women feeling stifled? Yes. Are women having opportunities denied them when they're truly gifted to be doing ministry? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now let's pick that back up and let's talk about it again, because is that what we think God wants for this? And, and, and then it becomes all about, and that's where it does become abusive because then it comes about you. Well, if your heart was, you know, in the right place, you wouldn't feel stifled. Oh, if you were submitted to Christ, then you would be okay with this. And that's, that's like the, the high control environment and goes down that slippery, slippery slip. I can't believe I just used that word. Um, oh no, it always creeps in. <laughs> it always creeps in because we have been programmed yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you just go down that spiral of like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you're unhappy is your problem, you know, therefore, you know, you get right with God, then this mm-hmm. scripture will make sense to you and be okay with you. And that's just, you know, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's like the picture of desperation, right. For men to say like, 
no, but the, but the Bible says this, the Bible says this. So then it's gotta be okay. Like this man can't possibly be sinful. He can't possibly be, I'm sorry. Do you have a theology that creates an opportunity for a human to be beyond sin and beyond reproach? <laughs> Is that really what you're going to say right now? Like holding on to and defending abusive actions based on a biblical interpretation is like so wildly missing the point that that to me is the indicator that's like this system can't be trusted because the people within it have privileged the policy have privileged the the written text Mm -hmm. and their very narrow interpretation of it above people's experiences Mm -hmm. and that is idolatry Mm -hmm. and that is a a really it is a Slippery slope mm-hmm. to hell. Mm-hmm. Like they are creating hell mm-hmm. every time they ignore a victim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time we ostracize someone who says, I've been abused, I've been hurt, or, or just like, I'm confused mm-hmm. about something. When connection is breached, then we're choosing death over life. We're choosing hell. You know, Mm -hmm. we're disconnecting people from community and from God Mm -hmm. because we create that experience Mm -hmm. of God when we love one another. It's so obvious to me now, but like you, like you said, like when I was in it, man, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for fully empowered women. It scared me. Yeah, absolutely. It did. Because I think the cost is like, oh God, I don't know what's true at all anymore. You know, yeah. like if this all, if this one issue, and I think this is it right, most and somebody misled me, mm-hmm. and someone lied mm-hmm. to me, then mm-hmm. what else did they lie about? Yeah, and I'm it's totally like in a, that place right now of just like, right? Well, did you lie about this? And did you lie about this? And did you lie about this? And and yeah. I, I mean, that's where the sex conversation comes in. Is like, yeah. I have been lied to about yeah. sex. Like, absolutely, I have totally been lied to. And like, if you yeah. lied about that, and you lied about women. Mm-hmm. you lied about a lot probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you got to scrap the whole damn thing. And that's why these men get so desperate and cling to what they need to be true because the cost really is everything. Mm-hmm. Like if, and I think this is the most accessible issue for a lot of people is gender, though there are plenty of other questionable conversations about the way that biblical litera- literalists moralize things that are not moral issues, but gender we'll just use Mm -hmm. as a very obvious example because you can't really go through life without interacting with women and hopefully without loving women, (laughs) hopefully. So it should challenge you if your theology does not love women. But if if that crack expands enough, then you got to let the whole thing crumble. Mm -hmm. And I just... Don't know what it would take for a man with that kind of certainty to allow it to crumble. Yeah. And I liked what you said about like letting the women know, because we need to not undervalue the power that women actually do have, even in a system where they have had all of their agency and power removed. um, They still have power. And Mm -hmm. these two women right now that are on the episode like they just have kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And now it's in the media and two different newspapers have picked it up and mm. it's on the podcast. And I'm like, 
it's it's getting around and and it's yeah and it, it's sad that you had to go to outside places and the church was so dangerous for the situation yeah. but women do have power to change this yeah. and say this That's is right. not okay and you can sideline me and call me a Jezebel and say I'm rebellious and say I'm too strong and deny me opportunities all you fucking want to that's okay I'll just go start a nonprofit and a podcast challenging you and, and, right, right. and pass it around sure. to the entire world you know sounds like you're speaking from personal experience Catherine you could have put me in the pulpit but instead you just instead you just forced me to start a podcast which reaches much many more people so. oh man <laughs> yeah I know it's it's very ironic the way that um there's there's like an image that's wanting to surface for me right now of the person pushed to the margins and how that's like actually their superpower that they find out there, you know? And I think that's, again, that's what we see in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like he goes to the margins because he knows that's where actual transformation happens. Mm-hmm. It's not working. It, it's not, transformation isn't happening when the system's working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, like that's just part of being human. We build these things, we build them as best as we can. They're flawed and they mm-hmm. have a limited lifespan mm-hmm. and they ought to be inspected from the inside and the outside. And if if we're unwilling to evaluate and adjust, that's when it becomes demonic. That's when it becomes truly evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because we believe in this this system, this institution we've built more than we believe in the purpose that it was built for which was to facilitate growth mm-hmm. and learning and love mm-hmm. and community and connection. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's I think what that's they what would say. For, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You saying that and put me in mind as I'm thinking about, again, I did reach out to these men and saying like, Hey, do you want to comment before this next episode comes out? Um, and that was like what I specifically said to them. Um, but I didn't get, back from them oh I didn't know I'm not sure what you're talking about tell me more about what you're talking about okay I'm gonna listen to those episodes um that's interesting you know they don't know me well actually two of them do know me um but but like that posture that you were just describing like that was not the posture that I received from them now you know 50% of it was them responding to me actually like I didn't I really did not expect a response. So the fact that two people did response, like that's good. But that posture of like, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to be open to the fact that this might be true. Um, mm. That wasn't there at all. Mm-mm. Another thing that came to mind while you were sharing this is you said the PCA was where you heard the gospel for the first mm-hmm. time after an even more abusive context mm-hmm. behind you. And I'm curious. I mean, I know what the gospel is as proclaimed by the fundamentalist church, I think. Yeah. But yeah. what would you say is the gospel you heard? And is that still good news? That, to yeah, you? that's like that's a good addition to to the question is what was the gospel at that time? And then yeah. what is the gospel now? So what is the gospel now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Fair. I don't know how I would describe it. Oh, yeah, I do. And it has to do with art. So I will get there. Oh, um, good. Yes. Um, yeah, at the time, and it was in a Sunday school class in the book of Galatians. And that book is all about this idea of like, you cannot earn your salvation Jesus has already paid for it. Therefore, you are good. 
because mm-hmm. Jesus has already paid for it. So you are good mm-hmm. as you are because I was totally indoctrinated with, I have to please God. So I have mm-hmm. to do all these things in order to please God. Yes, your salvation is secure and you're not going to hell because you believe in Jesus, but mm-hmm. you still have to please God. But then like, it doesn't take much for you to be like, well, is there ever a time when I can displease God enough? You know, if you're, if right. it is on you to please God. Yeah, where's the line here? Exactly. And I'm, I'm very pragmatic and um, uh, just logical. And so, and that served me very well in this system because I just yeah. saw the breakdowns in the logic. You know, I was like, yeah. wait, yes. Yeah. And that just kind of overpowered um, the, the fear, I think that logic Mm -hmm. of being able to like see the breakdown in the logic. Um, and so when I heard that, like, boom, you are good. Like if you are in Christ, you are good. That's not how they phrased it. Um, that was just completely liberating and completely Mm -hmm. transformative and just, yeah, it was just, it completely changed. Cause I was like, at that point I was like, I'm a Christian air quotes for lack Mm -hmm. of a better option. I hated myself, you know, I hated Christianity. I hate, you know, I I was not happy. I was probably very depressed. (laughs) Um, But then at that point I was like, oh, this is something that I want, you know, just like a craving for that. So as far as what that is and how that plays out now and what that looks, I'm still in the journey. And I think the, the thing that I'm exploring right now that has to do with art is, do you know who Makoto Fujimura is? I don't. He's he's an artist, a painter artist. And he talks about this Kintsugi theology where like the Japanese have this really expensive pottery or it might not be expensive pottery, but it once it breaks, they then put it back together with this like gold lacquer. And it's yeah. more valuable now that it's been repaired than yeah. before it broke. And, mm-hmm. and we had this, conver- I interviewed him for the podcast and we had this conversation because I was just like, okay, I know what it's saying, but I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Because like in my story, I don't think, oh, God allowed this abuse to happen so that I could start this, you know, organization. And yay, mm-hmm. that was God's plan the whole time. And he wanted me to mm-hmm. go through that so that I could do this. And that's a reason why I went through this horrible thing. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. Um, but do I think that there has been this like redemption of all of these horrible things that I have experienced through my life all coming to a head right now. And that that is more beautiful than before it happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it's redemption. It's not a reason. And if I had never experienced abuse in my life, would I be totally fine? Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think every day I wish I didn't have to go through that. Yes. It's almost like that age old question of like, why does suffering exist? And if God does exist, then why doesn't he just get rid of it? Yeah, that's the There's like a story being told Mm -hmm. that is not God ordaining suffering, Mm -hmm. but God then making something so much more beautiful on the other side of suffering. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. It's a God, a God in suffering. Yes. Right. And I, I think that is a really beautiful image of the gospel of what you just said. And I'm thinking, you know, I love the image of cracks and putting things back together and I say the name of the Kintsugi. Japanese art form. Kintsugi. Yeah. 
I've heard it as an illustration in sermons, like for. Oh no! I know! I know! I know! But, <laughs> but it's stuck. It, it's always stuck with me. And side note, I fully believe in synchronicities as like a nudge of the spirit and things that come up in conversation multiple times over multiple days. I pay attention to and Japanese philosophy and art have been coming up all over the place for me. So it looks like I'm going to take a deep dive into Japanese thought. Yes. Um, another thing that I was thinking, I've been commissioned by the cathedral here in San Diego called St. Paul's. Um, they're doing an event for Pride Week in July, and they have asked me to sing a Jeff Buckley song anthem that has Whoa. this pretty famous line in it that says there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And that's that's like a, it's just spiraling in my mind right now. It's spinning up there. And Whoa. while you're talking, it's like, yeah, that's that's it. Like, and it's art too, right? It's, it comes from the artists that we, yes. that we have a better image of yes. truth. Yes. That's where we find truth. It's not in text. Yes. The text supports us on our journeys. This, the text can guide us to wisdom, but it isn't the knowing. Yes. It isn't the knowing experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And artists tend to see the world 10 years down the road yeah, and it can be frustrating because I saw a quote on Instagram the other day that said, prophets don't foretell the future. Prophets accurately name the present, which mm-hmm. can be kind of the same thing. If yeah. you're honest about it, like where we are right mm-hmm. now is not where we need to be. We need to be over here. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> Yeah, the prophetic voice of the artist. Yeah, and that idea of it's not about just like having the knowledge and being able to accurately interpret the Bible. And and that's where I fell in love with the Bible was when I read it as an artist and when I read it as a story. It's an incredible story. It has so many layers and so much complexity Mm -hmm. and poetry and beauty and Mm -hmm. darkness. Oh my gosh, there's so much darkness in the Bible. And yeah. yeah, and I'm just like, I I just think that people do a disservice when they treat it like a textbook mm-hmm. or a moral code. Or- yeah, or, or distill the message of the whole Bible into a tiny version that we call the good news, which is that you're so terrible that God had to kill his son for you. Mm-hmm. So you better mm-hmm. say a prayer in his name <laughs> so that you can at least make it worth it mm-hmm. that he died. Mm. And you get to be with him forever. Once again, the onus is on us. Internally indebted. Right. To like be grateful that God did right. this wonderful thing. Yeah. Eternally <laughs> so indebted God to this savior. He needed you. So he killed himself <laughs> to save you from himself. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And that, it's just, it's taking something like you're saying that's art, that's mm-hmm. beauty. And there's so much truth in it that that is the message that we Mm -hmm. distill out of it is such a disservice and it's abusive. And like you said, Mm -hmm. you hated yourself in that context. And that was appropriate. You're supposed to hate yourself. Deny yourself. Yeah. 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 And so, and then like, again, if you're Mm -hmm. an abuse victim in the name of that Mm -hmm. gospel, well, how do you stand up for yourself? Cause you're just a miserable Mm -hmm. piece of shit. And I I was talking to a friend about this who hasn't been involved in the church in so long. And I was like, the last thing that you need is someone to tell you that you're a piece of shit. 
because you already know you are. Every single one of us carries that around, this fear that we're actually mm-hmm. just a piece of shit. And if that's where the church starts, mm-hmm. we are failing. We are failing to give good news because that is not good news. The good news is that mm-hmm. it's okay. It's not bad and it doesn't. it's not mm-hmm. sending you to hell. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's just like suffering, trying to make sense out of it as like God's sovereignty and God's plan for us, that this is something we're supposed to just submit to and entrust ourselves to because it's for our good, as though it's discipline to Mm-mm. suffer. I mean, that that results in like the Protestant work ethic that has driven our country into heart attacks mm-hmm. and like antidepressants mm-hmm. for everybody because we're so shitty. We're just trying to work our way into what mm-hmm. we can earn. But the good news is that mm-hmm. it just is, you know, suffering doesn't have to be a means mm-hmm. to any end. But but the good news is that God mm-hmm. is present in it. That's the gospel to me. Like Jesus on a cross submitted into every single one of the worst fears that we have so that we can see mm-hmm. that God is present with us in it. And that's what's available. Mm-hmm. And God might look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I, I believe my conviction is that God, God ultimately is love. God ultimately mm-hmm. is relationship. And so if we allow our suffering to push us into relationship, that's the transmuting. Mm-hmm. That's the gold paint. That's like that's when it becomes something tragic mm-hmm. and beautiful instead of just painful and dark and scary and perpetuating mm-hmm. fear in the world. But it takes a lot of courage Absolutely. to do that. And I think about the relationships that have been formed um, just like with this nonprofit, and I'm sure you've experienced this with your podcast. And and it's just that is the beauty out, you know, like that phoenix rising out of the ashes is is just these yeah. beautiful relationships and just once you've kind of been you know and I just I just thought about this someone said the other day that you know abuse victims are like laugh harder than anyone that you've ever met and I'm like that is so Mm, true there's just this abandon in laughing because there's something so precious it's like you're so excited you can laugh again like I feel that so I feel that so often like oh I can laugh because yeah. there were so long where you couldn't, yeah. you know, like that wasn't even accessible yeah. Yeah. to you right. to be able to get mm. to that. And I kind of tend to think that emotions work on a scale where it's like up and down. Your capacity can't increase in one direction without yes. increasing in the other. So those of us who have been broken open in grief and heartache can have the capacity yes. for a greater joy. I think you're right. And it takes, again, it takes courage to go into the depths of despair and re-emerge because you kind of, it. I mean, the scary thing is that, especially for me, I mean, Enneagram 7, that's oh. like where I get the most afraid. You are two, right? No, I'm a three. Oh, you're a three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I love sevens. I love sevens. You do? <laughs> Tell me why. No, just kidding. But I, you know, when I am at 
when I'm facing my difficult emotions, my fear is I'm going to get stuck here forever. And when I'm in it, I'm like, oh God, this is, this is it now. This is me now. And that's the panic that keeps me from ever actually moving through it. But if I can, if I can just say like, wow, this is loneliness Mm -hmm. and it is heavy and I am sad Mm -hmm. and I feel a lot of hopelessness while I'm here, then I can remember, I don't always feel this way. And the next time that I experience joy, it's, it's in mm-hmm. contrast to that depth of mm-hmm. longing. When I get to connect with someone deeply, it is a pure, yeah. joyful, like blissful yeah. experience. What is it like for you pursuing a career path where you are going to be teaching the Bible? Like, do you enjoy that? Do you, <laughs> do you enjoy teaching the Bible? And what's that process and experience like for you? A really good question. I, I do love teaching the Bible. I love preaching. I love, I love the Bible as an encounter with God. And I believe that it is most effectively encountered in community. Because, like I said, I believe God is relationship. God is love. Especially when you're beginning to understand how to read the Bible, right? And, and like maybe beginning again and not just read it at face value as instructions, but rather as literature, as art, as a holy and sacred thing that has passed through more minds than anything else that we that we have tangibly as humans. Like that's yeah. bananas. And if that doesn't give it spiritual weight, then I don't know what is, right? It's just like maybe, maybe these scriptures were not the most holy ones when they were put together. I don't need to believe that it's a perfect yeah. Bible. I don't need to believe that it's inerrant to believe that it's powerful just because people mm-hmm, have been reading mm-hmm. it and seeking God through it for, mm-hmm. for millennia. So yeah, I love it. I love teaching the Bible from the framework as mm. a mystic. This isn't about answers. This is about love. Mm. And if we're looking for love when we read the Bible, then we're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Mm-hmm. As you can tell, the Bible is deeply ingrained in the way that I think about the world because sometimes verses just like pop out few out of my mouth in pop regular out. conversation. Yes. I have an atheist friend here who grew up atheist and like has really never had exposure to the new Testament at all. And literally every conversation we have, I'm like, well, Jesus says, (laughs) (laughs) I just think about him all the time for better or for worse. (laughs) Very attached. Mm, That's beautiful though. Yeah. That's beautiful. What about you? What's your relationship with, with the Bible like right now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm aware that I'm recovering from trauma from a abusive church situation. And one of my bigger griefs in this season, it's been about uh, a year and maybe a year, almost a year and a half, I guess, since I left that church. And one of the bigger griefs is, you know, especially at the beginning, I could not touch the Bible. Like I couldn't read it. I couldn't touch it. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't listen. And I loved the Bible. So this like Mm -hmm. evil situation made me hate this Bible that I used to love and made me hate this God that I used to love. And even though I know and I am aware it is trauma and it is, it can be healed. It will not last forever. 
I don't have a timeline on it. And I, I have people ask me all the time and they're so, they're so sweet and well-meaning, but they're very anxious on my behalf, you know, thinking this is going to be about your salvation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking, you know, you know, so do you have an idea of like when you might want to go back to church? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't. When you're going to read your Bible. I mean, I have started reading my Bible again. I have like a commentary that I've been reading. Um, with Ecclesiastes, yeah, Ecclesiastes. I, don't, I need to read Ecclesiastes again because I always love. I love Ecclesiastes. It's yeah, just stay so, there. He's so sarcastic and like depressed, and I'm like, he's he's probably just like sipping on some friend. hallucinogenic wine, <laughs> writing this shit. You know, I'm like <laughs> on some mushrooms. As he's trying. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> That's me on mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I should. I actually haven't tried reading Ecclesiastes, so that's a good idea. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like down the road. You know, I don't know. Um, will I ever up and end up in okay. church again? Will I read the Bible? I think the Bible will come back because that, I feel like I can probably separate. I've done that a couple of times where I've, you know, had, uh, I grew up in a very spiritually abusive home. And so that was used as a weapon and I was mm. able to eventually break that down and separate out the abuse from the actual text. Uh, and so I think I'll probably get to a point where I can probably do that again at some point. Don't have a don't have a timeline. I don't have a timeline. Why why would you want to? Because I used to love it. And yeah. so I want to go back to it. I want to go back yeah, to that. And just saying that about that's how I fell in love with the Bible is when I started reading it as a work of art and and seeing it as this really amazing work of art, I'm like, yeah. it's still. I still believe that about it, and feel like these horrible people took this. It's like it's like when a you know someone experiences sexual abuse. Sex itself is not bad, but someone took this yeah. beautiful thing and just twisted it and made it yeah. a knife. You know, and yeah, that that is that is the experience of like I want to get to a point where I can engage with us again and still mm-hmm. um yeah but I, I don't have a timeline for that and sure yeah That's and it just it is so bizarre to just think like like your path that you're on of you know pursuing and um, being a priest I'm like like that was I was on the ministry path like I went to seminary right. I went to the mission field like this was my career path I mm. wanted to work for the church forever I wanted to be a part mm. of people's stories and helping them encounter the Bible and helping them encounter God. Like that was, that was my path. And then it mm-hmm. has been derailed um, because of really horrible things. And so mm-hmm. that is, yeah, it's just kind of weird to think about that. Just like how something can change so fast. Yeah. But will you speak more just briefly to the work that you're doing now instead? Because I would I would go ahead and argue that you are, in fact, facilitating an encounter with God and helping yeah. people to know and love God. You're right. <laughs> you're so good at what I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so like Tears of Eden is, yeah, working very specifically with spiritual abuse survivors and I do think that the fact that we can all come together and I include myself in it, it's not like me, I'm serving you. Like, no, we are, we're serving each other. And that is very much felt. And I do not feel like I'm the one that's here. I do tend to be more in a listening position and hearing the stories, which is mm-hmm. amazing privilege. Um, 
but yeah, just that, that, and like, it's okay. Like you don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible right now. You don't even have to identify as a Christian right now. Like you, you cannot identify as a Christian ever. And like that space and like just the safety that's felt there. And like, you know, am I allowed to cuss on this, uh, you know, Facebook page? I'm just going to do it because I feel like I need to, and I'm going to, and I need other people to be with me when I do it. (laughs) Like, um, and everyone responds and they laugh and they think it's funny. And it's like that, that kind of community where like that, like there's just like those rules in the church, like, you know, don't Mm -hmm. cross these rules. Yeah. I was talking with another friend who's in a leadership position in a church and um, we were kind of immediately at the beginning of a conversation as, as you have experienced, I don't have a lot of capacity to like filter my venting. Like if you catch me at a point where I'm thinking about something, it's just going to come out of my mouth and I am not sorry about it anymore. And so I was kind of venting to her about like being, being idealized often. And I think that is something that happens in church leadership mm-hmm. a lot. And it, it is also something that I experience in my personality a lot. Mm. And it's, it's like, it's just my cross to bear, you know, <laughs> that people put me on a pedestal, but, but for real, she, she and I were kind of commiserating about this experience of like the pressure and the loneliness that comes when you're idealized and the way she said, you know what I do to break it? I just cuss as much as I can right up front. As soon as just I to meet make people. Sure that- yeah, yeah, just to like get knocked right off the pedestal, which I realize I totally do too. And it sounds like that's like yeah. a strategy for you too. Cussing. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's so important. Oh, yeah. it's so important. It is, it really is. And uh, my friend Gina, who's a therapist, who works with survivors of spiritual abuse and she talks about the groups that she leads. And it's kind of like a, like who's going to be the first person to break the language barrier and who's yeah, going to be the first yeah, person yeah, yeah. to cuss and how it does create the safety. Like once you have done it, like once you've like, okay, you don't have to be pinned up here. Yeah. Like you can. Like, What's your favorite cuss word? Oh, fuck for sure. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> And I, God fucking damn it. Like I say that all the time when I'm angry. Like, what about you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 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 It's, it's a different feeling in my body. Yeah. It releases tension. Yes. Have you seen history of swear words on Netflix? I started to watch it. Yeah, they, they yeah, do an funny. experiment of like ice water. Did you see the experiment of what? Well, I'll just I'll no. just tell, tell it for listeners. But they yeah. ice water, and they have half of the people put their hand in the ice water, and they're not allowed to cuss. Then the other half put their hand in ice water, and they're allowed to cuss. And the people who put are allowed to cuss can leave their hand in ice water fifty percent longer than the fifty percent is 50%, a lot. Fifty percent. <laughs> Dopamine is an amazing thing. It's like it just like releases the tension when you can say it. And and it's also it's really funny because I'm like, where these words came from and how they got their negative meaning is just so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's so arbitrary. I mean, it really highlights the absolute insanity that we all agree to these rules about like what are offensive words to say. Like, come on, man. Right. We gotta re we gotta scrap all this shit start over <laughs> see what yes. i did there yeah so how do you is that how you then combat that like being put on a pedestal thing is just by cussing is that kind well of yeah i i wanted to talk more about this too i'm glad you brought it back up because you mentioned something about um in these in these groups that you're facilitating 
really taking a role as a listener uh-huh. and that that is your leadership. Uh-huh. And this to me is like a key to a new kind of leadership with a, with a paradigm of the divine feminine mm-hmm. instead of this patriarchal, linear, top-down, hierarchical sort of leadership where you're supposed to have some exalted authority who, yeah. like exactly what you're describing in the PCA, just the unwillingness to even explore the possibility of flaws yeah. in the people. They want them on those pedestals. Yes. They want them there and those men want to stay there. Yeah. Whereas divine feminine leadership says, mm, 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 mm. no, I'm not different from you. Yeah. Power with, not power over. This is my gift. Yeah. You know, this is my strength and I'm going to operate in my skill set and I'm going to bring that to the community, but it doesn't make me better than you. It just means yeah. this is my area of leadership and the, the way that I'm going to le- lead is primarily by listening. Yes. Yeah. That's so good. That's so cool. This is the best conversation I've had all week. <laughs> Those are my so favorite empowered. words. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's a real thing happening. Like the, the divine feminine is resurfacing in, in incredible ways. And part of this opening for me coming back to faith, I started to journal again and was also unsure about whether I wanted to use my Bible and what I would call God. And I had a, I sometimes hear from the spirit when I'm in meditative and prayer states. And I heard the spirit tell me, you can, you can call me she. And I was like, can I? So I started to talk about God as a her and like watch people's faces in Nashville, Tennessee, whenever I did. And like, they would either get squirmy or they would get really excited. (laughs) And I knew who I was dealing with, Mm -hmm. you know, but anyway, so that was like kind of the first Mm. step into those waters for me. But last year, 2020, March, I had just started reading a book by Cynthia Bourgeau called The Meaning of Mary Magdalene and uh, cannot recommend it enough. Can't wait. Cynthia is a very, she's a, she's a, I was going to say retired. I don't think she's retired. I don't know. She's ordained as an Episcopal priest, but she also spends most of her time hermiting, like alone with with God. Um, And then she does retreats and teaching a little bit on the other times. But so this is, this is a true modern mystic. And basically this book is about the divine feminine resurfacing and how Mary Magdalene is the emblem of that, that got cut out of our canonized scriptures. And so she uses, she quotes the gospels, um, the Gnostic gospels of Mary and Philip and Thomas. I think those are the three that she uses. Um, but anyway, obviously after that, I bought the Nag Hammadi scriptures, which contain the gospels that were not oh. included. These are, these were all of the texts that were discovered. All at the same time. Yeah. And what Egypt, was that it didn't... that kept them from being included? Well, we can only speculate, right? But they're, but this is why I think they're so valuable is that they are the voices on the margins that didn't get included, that the systems of power that did choose the narratives that were included, they felt needed to not be in. And, and the voices that were silenced by the voices in power are the ones I'm the most interested in hearing from. Mm -hmm. So and she kind of raises this, not, not as directly in her book, but she does explore like 
why did we leave out Mary Magdalene? Why did she get painted as a prostitute for centuries? Mm-hmm. Why do people still think that that's true for her? Mm-hmm. It it was not true, and it was never in the Bible. And she was a powerful woman, and that yeah, the the, the tried and true way to discredit a woman is to call her, yeah. you know, a slut. Oh, yeah, you're totally right, right? Yeah, and uh, there are all these arguments in the Gnostic Gospels between Mary as the one, the one that Jesus said really got it. Mm-hmm. Like he told his disciples, she's the one that gets it. Mm-hmm. she's the one that knows and Cynthia Borjo sort of speculates about their relationship as first of all very likely uh, a, a cosmic love kind of mystical union mm-hmm. that transcended just this physical realm that perhaps she was by the tomb for all three days when Jesus was buried that she was praying as kind of a tether keeping him connected to this realm with her love Mm. Like maybe, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's why she's the first one that sees him when he resurrects. Mm. Right. But also she raises a very important question. That's a good place to start, which is why is it so fucking important to us, to the church that we think of Jesus as celibate? Interesting. I have thought about that too, as I've explored, but exploring sexuality and like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, do we know that for sure? Like no, we know he how was could we? Married, but he was still a sexual being. Also, do we even what? know that he was unmarried? He was a Nazareth, Nazareth law. Yeah, we weren't allowed to marry. Do you think he cut his hair? You know drank the Bible wine? movies. He has long hair. So, <laughs> do you think he drank wine, or he just served it for everyone else? Oh, he totally drank Nazarites wine. Because aren't supposed to drink wine. Oh, you're right. Mm. I'm just saying, we've been fed a lot of shit. And a lot of, a shit lot of it has been a lie, as I yeah. discovered in the past year. And yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm willing to but so anything. Right. That and so slippery like, slope. I'm exactly. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think the thing is, when you realize you've been lied to, you have two options. You can cut and run and like cut your losses. I'm done with this, which is totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. Or you can dig deeper mm-hmm. and you can investigate where the lie really begins and what was the reason mm-hmm. for for its initial mm-hmm. emergence. If you found out that Jesus was not celibate, how would that impact you? Like if, well, I've pretty much already concluded that I think Jesus was not celibate right, and I, it makes me that? love him more. Really? Tell yeah, me about absolutely. this. I want to know more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think sex is as sacramental as we allow it to be. Mm-hmm. Just like water for a baptism, just like mm-hmm. bread and wine for the Eucharist. I think there is... Plenty of room for like hookup sex, casual sex, explore, get to know yourself, get to know your body, get to know other people, find your boundaries, find your limits, Mm -hmm. trust your desires, trust that your desires will shape themselves as you explore them and as you submit them back to the greater love Mm -hmm. that guides you. You know, I think that is like, it's safe. You know, it doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt, Mm -hmm. but you can trust that. Mm -hmm. You can trust that even if you're hurt while you're exploring your desires, you are getting closer to love, which is the point of all of it. And then I think there's a whole other realm of sexuality. 
And we see this in a lot of tradition traditions, tantric sex. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, there's another Eastern sexuality practice that's very similar. Um, you know, even the idea of yin and yang and mm-hmm. divine masculine, divine feminine. But mm-hmm. there is, and of course, this is all very heteronormative. And I'm just going to say yeah. that first yeah. because mm-hmm. that is not necessary for a sacramental understanding mm-hmm. of sex. And uh, we have all those energies moving through us at all mm-hmm. times. And so just because I'm having sex with a man doesn't mean that he's the only one in masculine and I'm the only one in feminine. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say like playing into those caricatures can can very quickly become abusive. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to take turns and play different roles mm-hmm. and and practice different energies flowing through you. Mm-hmm. And a good and available and, and spiritually conscious partner will do that with you. And I think there there is something mystical about that kind of union where there are two energies that are just giving themselves to one another for the sake of connection. And that is where God is. Not not exclusively, obviously, right. but that is where God is, is in surrender to like a whole giving of yourself to another. Again, Jesus says, there is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Mm-hmm. It's deeply vulnerable to give yourself to a sexual encounter. That's why most people do hook up sex instead. That's why they choose... Yes. Fleeting encounters, even people, I mean, I'm sorry I'm on a tirade right now, but people who get married in the evangelical church very young, I imagine a lot of them, the reason that sex is painful or difficult or unappealing to them is because they've only experienced this kind of like pleasure-based fleeting experience of hookup sex. And it's not about connection. It's not about Mm -hmm. self-giving. It's about this man getting off (laughs) and you being one very specific way. Yeah. Intercourse. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, all that to say, I think it makes me see Jesus as more human. And like, if I believe that Jesus is this, this historical person who was a fully, fully human, experienced everything that humans do, surrendered to every experience of humanity, even death, even death in a public execution which seems like it's kind of as bad as it can get, at least in his context, um, then I have to believe that he also experienced all the good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's our fear of pleasure. Again, back to that Protestant need to suffer for what we, like Mm -hmm. to earn something through suffering and pain. Mm -hmm. We're, We're fearful of our own capacity for pleasure because... Well, what do we do when that desire is awakened, mm-hmm. right? We don't trust our desires, so we don't know what to do with them. So we make rules about why they're bad. Mm-hmm. What? Can't control them. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I never, uh, I have, I have thought, had that thought like pass through my mind um, as the like sex itself being good and sexuality being good and thinking of Jesus. But only if you're married. Only if you're married. (laughs) And it it was comforting to me, I think, to think of Jesus as celibate 
as a single woman in the evangelical church. And like he gives status, I guess, to that, that state mm. that is often unstatusified. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I dig it. Given where where status is not given to single woman, you're sub you're sub citizen. Mm-hmm. Um and I've I've tried to kind of figure out if this is the same way for men. It's hard to find single men in the evangelical community because they're so, you know, intensely getting married. But um, I don't know if it's the same, if single men feel that same pressure, but there there are a lot of single women in the evangelical community and they are sub-citizen or they're only valued for the work that they do. And so Jesus's choice to not experience marriage that I, I that alone I feel like I mean I feel like that and I, I know that there are some traditions that have then made that elevate singleness and like someone who is you know un unfettered is more holy and but at least like the catholic tradition does have a doctrine for singleness whereas mm-hmm. the evangelical community doesn't like there isn't a space for that um they're getting more aware of that it's becoming more aware but yeah but then the fact that um jesus might not be celibate hmm i don't know i have to think about that one yeah cynthia bourgeau in this book she she talks about how we conflate celibacy and singleness Mm. and then we also don't even like because the word that jesus uses is single like that um you know in that passage where he's teaching on that if you get married then you should stay married. And his disciples are like, whoa, that's really difficult. How, who could do that? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, not everyone can. That's why if you can stay single, if you can be single, then it's even better. So he talks about that word that he uses there. He also uses in some of the Gnostic gospels that he's not talking about unmarried as single. He's talking about someone who is whole, who is as a single individual embodying both their divine min- masculine and feminine who has wholly developed their spiritual their spiritual nature in that they're perfectly they're in touch with both aspects of themselves and they are whole and that's what she says is unique about the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene because you know Jesus Jesus is not a rookie at relationships. He's not going to just like fuck around with anybody. He's only going to be with someone who's an equal. And I think that's the thing. Like we think Jesus wasn't married because he didn't have a subordinate because women were subordinates at that point. And he wasn't about that shit. But I do think they were partnered. I do think they were partnered and I do think they were sexual. I don't care if I'm right on this. Like, you know what I mean? I don't need to be right. I just think this is a cool idea to explore that. What if this is way bigger than, yeah, than like anything people have been talking about. What would that do to the evangelical community? If that were true, like how would that change things or would it change? I think they will ever, ever make room for that to be true. Well, just the Christian, those who identify as Christian, like what would that mean for? Yeah. So like, what are the implications of that kind of doctrine? What were the implications Uh, for you? Yeah. It sort of loosened my grip on my understanding of like the kind of family I want. Mm. Uh, When I, when I picture my future and when I picture my love, 
um, and the trajectory of my life and relationship, I always just kind of envisioned this like relational end goal of a spouse and kids. And it's not to say that I don't want that anymore. Um, because I do think that's like a culturally relevant way to express that. And I do think there is a, another like sacramental aspect to marriage that I wouldn't enter into lightly, but like what I would be looking for, even if I were to want to pattern my life in that direction would be someone who is whole, who is wholly in touch with his masculine and feminine energies. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at least on the path Mm -hmm. towards that, right? Like at least aware of his own energetic experience because I want to be able to, to experience God together in that way. And if we're, if we're just like fucking stepping into gender roles, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm done with that shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I, I enjoy a lot of the things that are typically feminine. Mm -hmm. I love kids. Mm -hmm. I love creating. I love cooking. I love beautiful space, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's well and good, but as long as I have to do it because I'm a woman, I'm not, right. I'm not on board, right? right? But all that to say, I think for me, the implications were much more personal than they were theological um, because I'm already pretty committed to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's more just like, well, yeah, I love, I love Jesus. I love my connection with God through the Spirit of Christ. I trust what's revealed to me in that space. And I trust that I can't possibly have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like any other relationship where you get to explore and you know more. And I like learn more about this person. Mm -hmm. And then I work it into my love of them because I'm like, yeah, well, I I already know I love you. That's Mm -hmm. how love works. I've committed to loving you Mm -hmm. (laughs) to this devotional relationship. And it's, it's for the sake of the relationship that I integrate all of the things that I learn. I don't know if that made any sense. I feel like I just... No, it did. And it kind of made me think of, you know, the way that the Adam and Eve story is told and and how um, evangelicalism has infused that story with gender roles. Yeah. And and <sighs> the, all the lies associated with that women were made for men. Therefore, they're never supposed to be independent from a man, right? father and then husband, you know, like just that whole, like just that one phrase infused with misogyny, basically. Which, yeah. And it was always so funny to me that like chapter three, the, the curse, so to speak, the repercussions for the female in the story were like, hey, because all of this happened you're going to be pretty driven by your desire for your husband and like, he's going to rule over you. And I'm sorry about it. It's like, none of this was the <laughs> yeah. actual design. This no, is this, like, this was post curse. Yeah. Not, yeah. this is good. It's and so if we are, <laughs> if we believe the Bible, yeah. then we believe that that is not actually a standard to, yes, uh, it's a curse. Strive for, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like it's so fucking obvious even yeah. even if you're a biblical literalist if you're a biblical is, literalist it's like it, the approach is like oh sorry it's in the bible like this is the way it's supposed to be no it's actually the way it was 
not supposed to be. Yeah. This was a reaction. So this was not. <laughs> yeah. How it was yeah, beforehand. So Whew. We've done a lot. We have. I know. We've done a lot. This was so fun. One. This was so fun. This was so fun. I like, can't believe we always went for two hours. I know, and I'm so sweaty, which is the sign of a really good conversation. So, my feet are sweating. My yeah. I'm an emotional sweater. It's just a regrettable part of my disposition. I don't know. I can't really get it. I hated that when I was a kid, but now I'm like, eh, whatever. I just wear black. Um, or don't wear sleeves. That's really my hack. Mm-hmm. So I close my podcast by asking, what is one spiritual practice bringing you life? lately mm, i mean always um i meditate and i do yoga and they're both very contemplative mm. very being a part of my body and yeah i think just that whole idea of getting broken down and just like getting back in touch with my intuition and my gut and desires yeah feeling pleasure allowing myself to sit in very difficult emotions and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you? You know, the, the thing that I've been really excited about in my like spiritual chunks of time, everything is spiritual. What do I mean when I say that? My time to myself in the morning with God. Mm -hmm. The thing that I've been really excited about recently is some new crystals that I got. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I, I really feel the energy of crystals when I hold them. Like they work. I, they're incredible. They're <gasps> incredible. I mean, I, and I don't feel this with every single one that I pick up, but I think that's the beauty of it is like, you know, when the one is right for you, like when it comes mm-hmm. to you at the right time. Um, I was on a retreat last weekend in the mountains and during free time, a group of us walked down to this little like village kind of thing. They were having a festival that I think actually happens every weekend. So can you call it a festival if it's every weekend? But there was a little like, I don't know, it was like a Native American knickknacks kind of store that I was kind of questioning whether I was like, oh, this like looks kind of like white people appropriating like the you know indigenous culture because right. you walk in there are a bunch of dream catchers and shit. But I but I think there are also some crafts in there that were actually made by indigenous people. Um, anyway, but they also had buckets of crystals in there, and I was like, well, I'm definitely gonna get some of these. And I bought this one called a desert rose selenite. Let me get it and show you. Yay. It's beautiful. That's so pretty. Yeah. That's cool. I had no idea. This wasn't the kind of, there are some crystal stores where you can go in and they have like really extensive labels on them, like what Mm -hmm. they're used for, what's a mantra that goes with them, what chakras do they activate, what can you expect to feel, where does it come from, all this. No, this is just like a clear bin with the words uh, desert rose, $2 on it. Oh my gosh. $2 is insane, by the way. Insanely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At a crystal store, like I was describing, I'm sure this would be like 15, 16 bucks at least, maybe more. So I'm guessing, but generally speaking. So anyway, this is a very long answer, but this crystal is so alive to me right now. And I have been praying with it 
every morning during my meditation. And I keep having these what like, does it feel like? I just keep having crazy ideas. Like, oh, so cool. Yeah. It's like it, it has opened the top of my mind and I'm just getting like shit poured in. That's so cool. It's, it's like really magic. Cool. It's really cool. I have another one that feels very grounding to me. And I have another one that feels very, uh, I can like, when my throat is closed, which happens to me a lot because that happens to women a lot. We've been silenced uh, generationally. I use that one to open my throat and it helps a lot with singing and speaking and stuff, but I haven't needed it as much recently. I think I've healed a lot, but this one, Ooh, it's so good. That's awesome. I have not explored crystals at all, but because I don't know anything about them mostly. So, well, I assure you, if you were to walk into a crystal store in LA and say, I'm new at this, they I would bet. be so I, I, I need to do that in an edible store. I haven't tried that yet too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you just come to San Diego and we can do these things together? Because I really do. I need help. I need a Sherpa. I like, oh I need God. help. With these I think that's my calling. I have a feeling you'd be a great Sherpa Thank for a lot you. of things. Yeah. I mean, um, actually, I maybe I should change the name of what I offer. I call it spiritual guidance um, oh. where I work with people on this kind of thing. But oh. Sherpa might be a better term for what well, it I like is. the idea of Sherpa. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very welcoming. It's very welcoming. I have a question that I ask artists, and that is um, you're either your f- pick anyone, book, TV show, movie, or a song that is meaningful to you right now. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You were saying that. Yeah. I'm on like season five right now. What is the meaningfulness? So she is the chosen one. She has superpowers to slay demons and tries to exist in life as a regular teenage girl, goes into college and everything. Obviously, I identify a lot with the protagonist in every movie that I watch. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's so misunderstood and powerful, just like me, you know, I'm just completely self-centered. But I do identify a lot with Buffy. And what's interesting is like there's only supposed to be one Slayer at a time. And you learn more and more about like what it means that she's the Slayer and the chosen one from like a mystical perspective throughout the show. Also, there are a lot of feminist undertones, obviously, because she is the like this warrior archetype doing this, but a mystical warrior. And I totally resonate with that. And it's always a it's always a girl, like a teenage girl who's the slayer. And you learn about past slayers and they they never have community. But Buffy does. Buffy has mm-hmm. a family that she's connected to. And Buffy has um, this like beautiful relationship with her her teacher and friends and they they go with her whenever she's like battling it's set up kind of like harry potter i actually Mm -hmm. wonder if jk rowling watched buffy because feels very reminiscent in a lot of ways harry potter was crafted after buffy the vampire hey man i can't i can't prove anything now i want to watch buffy i've never watched buffy so and i am in a show funk yeah well this is it amazon prime yeah can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Yes. What about you? Do you have a song book? Obviously not show. Right. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That's meaningful to me right now. I just read the, uh, read and interviewed Beth Allison Bars on her book. I wish the title, it was titled something different, but the making of biblical womanhood, which is how um, the suppression, suppression of women became gospel truth. 
and she goes through just how how patriarchy infused the interpretation of the Bible. And it was it's rare that I read something where I'm like, oh, I learned so much. And yeah. it just it just really I was already on this like for conscience sake, I cannot be a part of these places that are protect male domination with the Bible. I can't do that anymore mm. for the sake of conscience. Mm-hmm. But this book gave me the language basically to articulate that. So that was yeah. meaningful, a recent meaningful encounter with a book. That's good. And I really liked the Nevers on HBO Max. Have... That was fun. The, yeah, the Nevers? The Nevers. It's a steampunk, mm. magical people people in Victoria and England, all of my favorite things in one show. Yeah. I feel like we have really similar taste. I'm like fantasy, sci-fi all the way. I want it to feel like it's so far from real life. Exactly. That's what it is. I like the metaphor. Like I don't like watching like sitcoms and stuff because I'm like, this is too close to like normal life. I want to. Yeah. I almost feel like we should have like a book club reading that book together. That sounds I think that you would like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And she's awesome. Yeah. And it's just like they paint these cool. people as like, oh, they're so like backslidden and feminist. And, you know, that's what they do is they like to discredit women and make them oh, yeah. like they're like this evil person, not just I disagree with your work. Like, like attack the right. person. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's so great. Like, it's awesome. And her her desire is to care for women and care for men because female oppression doesn't actually care. Right. Yeah. Patriarchy serves no one. Doesn't actually benefit men. It doesn't. So, Mm -hmm. Well, if that's not the perfect place to to wrap up, I don't know what is. (laughs) I'm so grateful for you. Gosh. And also shout out again to Ginny Barker. Oh my gosh. She's an amazing connection. We love you, Ginny, so much. And I can't wait for you to be on my podcast. And yes to Heather first. I warmed her up. Or you warmed her up by asking first. It's hard to say. Chicken or egg? Who knows? Yes. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.